If you have your Bibles tonight, we're interested in the book of Lamentations, chapter number 3. The book of Lamentations, chapter number 3. I want to preach on from misery to mercy. From misery to mercy. Israel, in this text, is in bondage. And the word lament means burden. It means sorrow. It means to mourn. And I think about this text, our writer is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, that great man of God. As we stand tonight, let's look at verse 18. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 18. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance, and is humbling me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Father, would you help us tonight, Father, as we preach the word? Lord, I think about the struggles of Jeremiah, and there could be people here tonight that are similarly struggling along in life. And I pray, God, you'd help us, Father, from your word and by your spirit, that we might be an encouragement to someone tonight. Lord, would you speak through your word? Would you speak through your spirit? Would you speak through your servant? Help us, Father, I pray, to be in tune. For this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I see in verses 18 through 20 the struggle of the prophet. There's a struggle for the man of God. Jeremiah has been preaching to Israel that they have sinned and that judgment's going to come, and that they need to repent and get right with God. But rather than hear and heed and embrace the message, Israel decided they would reject the word of God. You remember the man of God named Jonah came to Nineveh, preached one message after he got spat out of a whale, and he smelled like whale vomit, and when he preached one message, the entire city of Nineveh got right. But now the man of God, Jeremiah, is preaching to his very own people and they won't even hear it. Here's the problem. They thought because they're the people of God. They thought because there's God, they're God's own chosen nation, they were insulated from judgment and that God would just look over their faults and their failures. So they took the man of God and they criticized him and they ridiculed him and they spurned him and they rejected him and they imprisoned him. They continue to live in rebellion to God. So God rose up a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar heading Babylon's forces. And he came into Jerusalem. And to the horror of the people who would not repent, he burned down the gates and he destroyed the walls of the city. And the beautiful temple where they worship God, I know how I feel about this place, the house of God where we are right now. I have a special love for Bethel Missionary Baptist Church. I have a special love for the people. I have a special love for the property, for the building itself. 
Nebuchadnezzar tore down every stone. He tore down everything that had to do with the house of God. He completely annihilated and destroyed it. And he took the people that he didn't kill, he took them off into captivity. Jeremiah, his own family, his own friends were either destroyed or they were carried away into captivity, into affliction, into oppression. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, God had told him, they're not going to repent, Jeremiah. Don't pray for them anymore. But he prayed anyway. He got him to the point where he said, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to tell people anymore. But he said, his word was a burning fire within my bones, within my soul, within my heart. And I could not stay. I could not forbear. I had to go out and preach the word of God. And he kept on preaching, though the people would not get right with God. And now Jeremiah, along with many others, are in captivity and in bondage to Babylon. And look what he says in verse 18. I remember my affliction. Mm. He says, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. He said, I had misery. Do you see it in verse number 19? I had misery. There was wormwood. There was gall. What does that mean? Bitterness, affliction, yeah. oppression, captivity. Lord God, the state of Israel is one of suffering. They are in trouble. What are they going to do? Verse 20, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Let me just go a little further in the chapter. May I look at verse 42? Look what Jeremiah wrote about the state of Israel because of what's happened. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. You know why he didn't pardon? They didn't repent. They just thought, well, we've sinned and God will just let us go. It's the state of our nation. We sin, we know we rebel, we know we break God's law, we know we break God's covenants, we know we, know we stand against God's promises, but we just think, well, we're just America, God will bless us anyway. And I'm telling you, little by little, we are being destroyed from within. He says, we have transgressed and we have rebelled, thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain, thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Watch this, verse 45. Thou hast made us as the offscouring and refuse in the midst of the people. He just said that Israel, a chosen nation, is refuse. You know what refuse is? I started to bring some. It's garbage. It's the trash. Imagine what your trash, what you throw in your trash can, what you have in your trash bag. The runny, rotten, filth, nasty. Jeremiah just said we are are a reproach. We are filthy. We are ruined. We're in terrible, terrible shape. And he's overwhelmed. And he feels that all hope is lost. If you look at our nation, you think we've gone too far. There's no turning back now. I mean, look at what we've done with, with, with this law and with this law and, and how we've legalized this sin and legalized this sin and said it's okay to do this sin. And Lord, I don't need, need to get into that. But just hear me tonight. Jeremiah's in despair. He's in distress. He's depressed. He's bankrupt of joy. The man of God has lost hope that the circumstances are even going to change. And he said, listen, this is not going to, I don't believe it's ever going to get better. 
And here's his thinking. Hear me now, hear me. Some people, you believe that if your circumstances change, things will get better. But I'm telling you, things can get better for you whether the circumstances change or not. You see, having real joy and serving God is not about the circumstances you're in. It's about the relationship you have with Jesus Christ as Savior. So number one, we see the struggle of the prophet. We see the struggle of the people. Number two, look at verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. So he's went from no hope. He said, my hope is perished. My strength is gone. I'm overwhelmed. He went from a struggle to all of a sudden when he said, when I recalled some things to my mind, it brought hope back. So number two, there's a shift in perspective. What is it? You and I need to start recalling God's compassion. Jeremiah changed the way he's thinking. And that's what you and I have got to do. We have got to quit looking at our circumstances and saying, well, if I get that raise, then I'll have joy. Or, or if that prayer request gets answered, then I'll have joy. If the church gets filled up again, then I'll have joy. If so-and-so that I pray for gets saved, then I'll have joy. Honey, you can have joy then and you can have joy now. I'm telling you, you don't have to be distressed. I'm telling you, you don't have to be depressed. I'm telling you, you don't have to be discouraged. In a pandemic, God wants you to change your thinking. You need a shift in your perspective. You need to recollect God's compassion. Verse 22, it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. Amen. What is mercy? It is God withholding what I deserve. Jeremiah's in captivity. He starts saying, woe is me. What are we going to do? I'm overwhelmed. Then he realizes, but I'm still alive. And I still have my health. And I still have my God. I still have my salvation. God, you've still been good to me. Everything's going to be all right after all. I think I can keep serving you in the middle of these circumstances. Jeremiah is saying, we should have all been destroyed, but you've spared a remnant. Hey, he spared the remnant. You know what the remnant is? The remnant is the off-scouring. My grandma was a quilter. She would go and take little pieces and cut them of trash, just things that people discarded, things that people didn't want. Maybe it had a spot on it. Maybe it had a blemish. Maybe it was cut irregular. Maybe it was an ugly color. And she would take those remnants that nobody else wanted, and she would cut them down to a certain size. She would wash them. She would press them. She would stitch them. She would put them in a remnant quilt. What nobody else wanted keeps me warm at night. What everybody else wanted, hey, has been a blessing in my life. Hear me. We're the remnant, amen. We're the off-scouring. We're what the world doesn't want. But God says that's exactly what I want. Let me wash it. Let me press it. Let me clean it up. I've got something I want to do with the garbage. I've got something I want to do with the off-scouring. I've got something I want to do with the refuse, what the world has rejected. God says, I want to do something with it, and I want to do something great. Jeremiah says, we may be in affliction. We may be in captivity. But I know this, my God wants to do something great in my life. Jeremiah figured something out. The problems... Jeremiah had were not problems. The problem was his perspective. May I present to you 
that the problems you think you have are not really problems. They're not to God. The problem is your perspective. If you look at it from his perspective, if you look, but preacher Aaron, I'm not him, but he's in you. And he wants you to have the mind of Christ. He wants you to see things as he sees things. He wants you to understand things and perceive things as he perceives things. You need a shift in focus. Hey, there may be somebody tonight, and they're down here saying, well, glory to God, preach, preacher, preach, preach, preacher, preach. Just because he's shouting and praising God and encouraging the preacher doesn't mean everything's perfect in his life. He may be as poor as Job's turkey. Amen? He, he may not have one blessing in his life, but, but, but you know what he's doing? He's making a choice to rejoice. And every one of us here tonight, this is a new day that God has made. We need to make a choice to rejoice in the good things and the blessings that God has sent to us. We just need a shift in our paradigm, a shift in our perspective, a shift in our focus. Here's a question. I want to ask you something. What, better question, who are you looking at? Are you watching people? And that, that man at the pool of Bethesda was looking for a man. But when Jesus walked up, he didn't see him as the great physician. He didn't see him as the master. He didn't see him as the Messiah. And he was right there in his space, right there in his bubble, right there to bring healing, right there to extend mercy. And he didn't even consider him. Honey, will you hear me tonight? Who are you looking at? Your outlook determines your outcome. What is your perspective? We think the only way my life's going to get better is if these problems go away. And that's not true. Your life will get better when you change your perspective and start rejoicing in what God's done for you despite your circumstances and God will bless you in a mighty way. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His compassion is personal. His compassion is precious. How my God is consistent. My God is dependable. My God is reliable. He is faithful. Honey, you can take it to the bank when your husband steps out and your wife steps out and your friends turn their back. Jesus is faithful every step of the way. Verse 24, he begins not only to recollect God's compassion, but he begins to recall God's character. He says, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I have hope. The word hope, hope in him. The word hope means my, 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 my circumstances may not change, but I have confidence in my God in dismal circumstances. If nothing about my setting and nothing about my situation changes, God's still faithful and God's still good. And he says, he is my portion. Hebrew word, kalak. This is what it means. My allotment, my inheritance, what is already mine. Let me say it like this. It cannot be depleted. COVID can't take away my portion. The Lord is my portion. Biden, Biden cannot take away my portion. He can tax me. He can get me at the gas pump. He can do all this. Hear me. He cannot take away the Lord is my portion. The Supreme Court cannot take away the Lord is my portion. Amen. He'll forever be our portion. You need to see that. Now, number three, there is then, if you change your perspective, there is strength in perception. 
The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To some of you, waiting is sitting around twiddling your thumbs, waiting on your circumstance to get better. God, I'm waiting. Where are you at? God, change this. What are you going to do? Some of you, you've already, some of you are single. You've been waiting on a fella. You've been waiting on a young lady to come into your life. And you've already got the, the speech prepared that you're going to give God. God, thank you for Mr. Wright. God, thank you for Mrs. Wright. Honey, you need to start rejoicing now before you ever meet them. God's still faithful before you ever meet them, before you ever get that new job, before you ever get that raise, before your circumstance ever changes. God's still faithful. God's still good. The Lord is good. That's what the Bible says. The Lord is good. So you see, Jeremiah, right, he's still in captivity. I'm getting excited now. He's still in affliction. COVID's still in the land, but God's still good. I just say hallelujah. It is good. The Lord is good under them that wait for him. Here's waiting. Waiting. Some of you waiting is twist, twiddling your thumbs, but this is really waiting. It is, Lord, what can I do to serve you? What can I do for you? I tell our students at BCA a lot of times, this is crazy when a principal stands up and says, is there anything I can do for you to make your day better? My students look at me like, you're the principal of the school. Well, I mean, but that's what Jesus, Jesus didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister. Hey, what? Oh boy, here's a question. What can Jesus do for you to make your day better? And what can you do for Jesus? Amen. And I promise changing your perspective and started getting strength from what you're seeing, God's going to bless you. Let's look at the next verse. I've got to move on. Look at the next verse. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah said, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to be faithful. And I'm waiting for you to come get me. Verse 27, it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. This is what he's saying. Because of when I was a babe, he called me from my mother's womb to preach. He's been preparing me all my life for this moment. He's grown me and matured me for this moment of captivity, for this moment of affliction. So why should I be down in the mouth? Why should I be the ones leading, leading the discouraging team? Some of us has joined the discouraging team. And you want a microphone. But I'm telling you, if you're going to get on the praise team, get on the praise team. Join up with the house of God. Start praising Him where you work. Start praising Him in your home. Start praising Him in the house of God. Amen. I'm thinking then about a young man by the name of Charlie Colson. During the Civil War, Charlie Colson at the Battle of Gettysburg was picked up off the battlefield by a uh, surgeon and brought into the hospital. And this man wrote this account. He said, in my hospital were hundreds of young men, 38 of them. That's an interesting number. 38 of them had arms or legs or both that needed to be amputated immediately. One such was Charlie Colson. He was too young to enlist as a soldier, so he enlisted as a drummer boy. He served three months, and he was wounded in battle. And previous to amputation, the assistant surgeon came and said, it's time to administer chloroform. And Charlie said, I refuse it. He said, the doctor's orders are for you to take the chloroform before we do the amputation. Charlie said, send the doctor to me. The doctor wrote this. I came to his bedside. I said, young man, why do you refuse chloroform? When I found you on the battlefield, you were so far gone that I hardly thought it worthwhile to pick you up. 
But when you opened those large blue eyes, I thought you had a mother somewhere that who at that moment might be thinking of her boy. So I didn't want you to die on the battlefield, so I brought you here. And you're too weak to endure this operation without chloroform. Therefore, let me give you some. Look at me in the face. He said, Doctor, when I was nine years old on Sunday, I gave my heart to Christ. I learned to trust him then, and I can trust him now. He will support me while you amputate my arm and my leg. The doctor said, let me give you a little brandy. He said, wait a minute. When I was five years old, my mother bowed her knee and prayed over me and said, his daddy died and he's buried in a drunkard's grave. Raise up this boy and tell him to warn others of the dangers of liquor and hard drink. He said, sir, if I was to die and go out and meet God, you don't want me to meet him with brandy in my body, do you? So I refused that as well. He said, the look that boy gave me was something I'll never forget. At that time as a surgeon, I hated Jesus. But I saw how he loved and trusted him. He said, I said, son, do you want your chaplain? He said, oh, yes, sir, call for him. The chaplain, when he got there, recognized Charlie, how he had faithfully attended prayer meetings at every opportunity. And he took Charlie by his hand and he said, Charlie, I'm sorry to see you in this sad condition. Is there anything I can do for you? He said, yes, sir. Would you put your hand under my pillow? Will you take my little Bible? Inside it, you'll find my mother's address. Please send it to her. Write her a letter. Tell her that since the day I left home, I've never let a day pass without reading a portion of God's word and daily praying that God would bless my dear mother. I won't call time out. Woo! You talk about you talk about serving God in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a war, on the battlefield, ready to be amputated with your arm and your leg, and he's still remembering praying for his mama and remembering the word of God. He said, son, I will. Is there anything else I can do for you? He says, yes, sir. Will you write a letter to the pastor back at the Sand Street Church in Brooklyn? Tell him that his kind words, his lessons about Jesus, his prayers, and the good advice he gave me, I have never forgotten. They have followed me every day through the dangers of battle. And now in my dying hour, I ask my dear Savior to bless my pastor. That's all. (laughs) Turning towards the surgeon, he said, Doctor, I'm ready. I will not even groan while you take off my arm and my leg. And the surgeon said, Charlie never groaned. All I heard him utter as he gripped his pillow was, Oh, Jesus, blessed Jesus, stand by me now. And that night, the surgeon couldn't sleep. All he could see was those blue eyes. And all he could hear was, Blessed Jesus, stand by me now. Five days later, still alive, Charlie sent for the doctor. He said, Doctor, my time has come. I do not expect another sun to rise on my life. But thank God, I'm ready to go. And before I die, I desire to thank you with all my heart for your thankness to me, for your kindness to me. Doctor, I love you. I love you first because you're a Jew. The best friend I have in this world was a Jew. The surgeon said, well, who was it? His name is Jesus. And I want to introduce you to him before I die. Will you promise me, doctor, that what I'm about to say to you, you will never forget? The surgeon said, I promised. He said, five days ago, as you amputated my arm and my leg, I pray to the Lord Jesus Christ to convert your soul. You talk about having hope in dismal circumstances. You talk about serving God faithfully in dismal circumstances. And the doctor said 12 minutes later, he fell asleep safe in the arms of his Jesus. He said hundreds and hundreds of soldiers died in my hospital during the war, but only followed one young man to the grave. 
His name was Charlie Colson. He was a drummer boy. And he said, and I rode three miles to see him buried. I dressed him in a brand new uniform and I placed him in an officer's coffin. And I flew the United States flag over it. The boy's dying words made a deep impression upon me. I was under so deep conviction of sin, but I fought against Christ for 10 more years until finally the dear boy's prayer was answered and God converted my soul. 18 months later, after my conversion, I too attended a prayer meeting one night in Brooklyn. Many people stood up in the service testifying about the goodness of God and the blessedness of the mercy of Jesus Christ. After several of, them, several of them had spoken, an elderly lady arose and said, Dear friends, this may be the last time that it's my privilege to stand and testify for Christ. My physician told me yesterday that my right lung is nearly gone and the left is very weak. So at best, I have a short time to be with you. But what is left of it belongs to Jesus. Oh, and it's a great joy to know that I soon will meet my boy with Jesus in heaven. My son was not only a soldier for this country, but a soldier for Christ. He was wounded at the Battle of Gettysburg, and he fell into the hands of a Jewish doctor who amputated his arm and his leg, but he lived five days after the operation. The chaplain wrote me a letter and sent me my boy's Bible, and in that letter he informed me that Charlie in his dying hour, when he sent for that doctor, said, Doctor, before I die, I wish to tell you that five days ago, while you amputated my arm and my leg, I prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ to convert your soul. I don't know if he ever got saved or not, but that was his testimony. And the surgeon said, I heard that lady. That was Charlie's mother. And I got out of my seat and I took her by the hand and I said, God bless you, dear sister. Your boy's prayer has been heard and it has been answered. I am the doctor to whom or for whom your Charlie prayed and his Savior is now my Savior. I just want to say to you, church, I want to encourage you. You may be having a bad day. You may be having a hard time. But I'm telling you, if you will try to hang on and be encouraged when it's discouraging times, if you will go from misery to mercy and just get to change your perspective and know and start praying for people, look what God will do. Though your arm may be amputated, though your leg may be amputated, look what my God can do if we will stay encouraged. Hallelujah, that's the message tonight. Would you stand to your feet? Oh, there is a possibility that you could go from misery to mercy. There may be somebody tonight and say, Preacher, I want to go that altar. I want to say, Oh, God, give me what Charlie Colson had. Oh, God, give me that grit. Oh, God, help me to have that faith. Oh, God, help me, Lord, that I might bear my testimony in the middle of hard times rather than bearing murmuring and complaining. Oh, God, help me. All I did was wormwood and bitterness and anguish. But, Lord, when I change my perspective and I don't look at my problems and I don't look at people, but when I look at you, oh, what a difference it makes in my life. Oh, yes, do you need to come tonight, church? Father God, how we praise you and how we thank you. What a mighty, marvelous, merciful, magnificent God you are. Oh, Lord, you're the lover of my soul and the forgiver of my sin. And God, though we go through pandemics and social change and all kinds of problems economically in our world, God, help us to know, Father, we can still serve you when persecution, when ridicule, when criticism, when trials, when mockery comes, when lies are told. You're still God. 
Help us, God, to be faithful to serve you no matter what. Others are watching. God, I know that in heaven, Charlie Colson and that Jewish doctor, they're having a time arm in arm walking around the street of gold serving Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of the Word of God. Thank you for Jeremiah who shifted his perspective and great gained strength from it and wrote the Word of God led by the Holy Ghost that's of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you for your kind compassion. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Help us, God, that our hope might be in you, that the Lord is my portion. For this blessing we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.